Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being with me today. I have with me Camden, who is a parent to four girls, and she is going to share her journey with us today. Camden, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Absolutely. very happy to be here. Um, so introduce myself. I'm Camden Hainsworth. Um, my husband, Tyler, and I live in Springville, Utah. We have four daughters under the age of nine. So they're all still in elementary Ooh. school and the baby is one. And uh, we, let's see, where do we even start? So we are a neurodivergent home. We are neurodiverse. Um in, in both sides. My husband is very neurotypical. I am uh, neurodiverse as well as my daughter. Um, if you're unfamiliar with those terms, um, they're kind of societal terms uh, to help us differentiate between what society quote unquote says is normal and what is different from what society terms as normal. They're not perfect terms by any means. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but I should say that we have many different brains in our households and, uh, it's been really fun navigating all of that. Um, I'm also a former elementary educator and I'm currently an ADHD coach. And so it's been a really great combination for me to be able to bring in the skills as an educator, bring in the skills as an ADHD coach, um, to be able to support my family. And then of course, a lot of other families out there. That's so fantastic. I love that you are taking your own experience in as, as someone who is neurodiverse, neurodivergent yourself, and then not only parenting your children with that knowledge, but also helping others. That's, that's such a lovely, um, gift to society, gift to other parents, that you are helping other people experience the world in this in the most effective and efficient way that they can based on their own brain and the way that their brain processes stimuli. So thank you for yeah. doing that one uh, first, but oh, you know, so fun <laughs> I, and fun and fun. And, you know, it is fun. I think often we talk about the challenges, right? Because there are a lot of them, um, both yeah. when we ourselves are neurodivergent, but also when we are parent, you know, when we're parenting children, and so I think often we don't talk about 
the positives and how fun it really can be to have people around us, little humans around us growing who see the world differently than we do. You mentioned you have four girls. I have three boys. Mine are (laughs) six, four, and one. So I also have a one-year-old. And it is so amazing as a parent of any child to see the world through their eyes. Um, it's, It's a lovely, wonderful part of parenthood that you know, I really, I really appreciate being able to share with other parents. You mentioned um, labels and these not being perfect terms, neurodiverse, neurodivergent. And I want to talk about labels in general. So do you feel like having the label of ADHD is helpful or hurtful? Um, And what ways do you think, what are some of the pros and cons of actually getting that diagnosis? Perfect. So the label of ADHD uh, the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder itself does not actually speak a lot to what most ADHDers experience. So I think it's a very flawed diagnose diagnostic term and lots of other people, including, you know, experts in the field would agree. (laughs) Um, it's really not a deficit of attention. It's, uh, a lot, lot more than that. And, Uh, we don't have to get all into that, but I think your question was, has it been helpful to have a diagnosis? Has it been helpful to have that label from my experience? And I would say a thousand percent. Yes. Um, for my, for my family, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD at 36 years old as a mom of three, my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD at three years old. And then we did a further evaluation, um, just this past summer and she received additional diagnoses. And the reason why is it gives me a foundation to build my relationship with her. It gives me a foundation to build myself with my relationship with myself. And there's so much room for compassion when we Mm. understand how our brain works. And when we understand that the label is, is really not important to me in terms of like trying to prove myself or, you know, I I don't know what other people use labels for, for me, it would be just as important to say, I'm someone who wears contacts. (laughs) I'm someone who has this particular blood type. I'm someone who, um, is allergic to dairy. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) These are all really important aspects of myself so that I can advocate for myself. I can advocate for my kids with appropriate expectations, right? If we continued to give ourselves our our children lasagna every night and they were sick to their stomach and we just said, Oh, we don't want to say that you're dairy free. You know, we don't want people to know that. And then they felt shame for their stomach ache every night because obviously this was hush hush. I don't know how that could really help. Right. And there is one more thing that kind of goes on top of that is some people will say ADHD is an excuse Mm. like, oh, I have ADHD. And so it's difficult for me to get places on time. I have ADHD and I, I'm so, so sorry. I actually forgot to go to the doctor's appointment. Um, to me, it's an absolute explanation it's mm. not an excuse. It's an explanation so that we can have self-compassion and so that with the right support, we can set up structures and advocacy to help this individual get places on time and not be as forgetful 
as their out-of-box programming ADHD brain gives them. The same way that we wouldn't say, well, squint harder if you can't see when really they needed glasses. So the label thing does not bother me in the least. I also think it has a lot to do with maybe the home that you grew up in and what it meant to have neurodivergence, things to be different, um, the, the narratives that maybe you've been surrounded by. And I just feel like the world's moving in a direction of how can we live all of our best lives for us, like tailored for us. That's a really good point. You know, you bring up about the the home environment that you grew up in and what the stigma associated with mm-hmm. mental health was as you grew up. You know, I I felt very lucky to have been raised in a family where there wasn't a lot of stigma around mental health issues, but still I think in generationally we have grown. We've grown as a society in the last you know, 10, 20 years, but even more so just in the last few years since COVID, we are now talking about (laughs) mental health. We're now hearing about it from people who maybe otherwise would never have even admitted to themselves that they needed some kind of extra support. And if they were lucky enough to have been able to get those support systems in place, like you mentioned, you know, a way to get people to appointments on time or to, Mm -hmm. you know, a system that will help them remember what they need at the grocery store. You know, if they were lucky enough to have discovered those things on their own, um, then they may not have acknowledged a mental health um, or a neurodivergent, the fact that they have a neurodivergent brain until I think COVID hit. And then when COVID yeah. hit, the world changed. People started talking about mental health as a crisis and mm-hmm. just having it out there on the news, in articles, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, people were hearing other people say, oh yeah, I have ADHD and this is what I do that helps. Or yes, I have um, you know, DMDD or I'm bipolar or, and it all of a sudden it became okay to talk about these things. And I feel like you had adults, many adults who were raised in a really stigmatized family growing up, all of a sudden things started clicking and they started going, huh, maybe, maybe I, maybe I have ADHD, you know, (laughs) that went viral on TikTok for a while, these ADHD videos. And that's how I started my whole, my whole coaching business was Is it? Talk during COVID. Mm-hmm. Wow. So tell me about that. That's amazing. Yeah. In 2019, I had my first ADHD mental breakdown and I didn't know I had ADHD. And so after that happened in a similar way to yourself, like I, I felt like more people need to know that they're not alone in going through these struggles. Yes. And so I love this podcast, Michelle, for that that purpose. Um, and so I just, I had this gut feeling you're welcome. I had this gut feeling like I need to get this out on social media. And I've always enjoyed being in front of the camera. I, I feel like I light up. I feel like I'm my best person. Um, and so I was like, all right, we'll use Instagram. So I started on Instagram, just telling my story pre-diagnosis. Like these are the things I'm learning about ADHD and adults. These are the things I'm learning about ADHD and women and, and kids. And, just started telling my story. And then, uh, right after Christmas, 2019, my brother introduced me to TikTok, and I had, I think maybe like a thousand followers on, on, uh, Instagram at that point. So I was really happy with how things were going. And I made my first TikTok two days after Christmas, not knowing what was right around the corner in the U S with COVID coming. Mm-hmm. And so I had already had about two months, three months of content of me posting two or three times a day. I got very hyper-focused, which is a, a, 
thing that happens a lot with ADHDers. And so when that wave hit, that was one of the most humbling experiences to be in the middle of my own diagnosis and making sense of it and having hundreds upon hundreds of comments, seeing my videos, asking me for help. And I was wow. like, hold, hold the show. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you guys. And, uh, so eventually that's what led me to creating a directory of other coaches and psychologists to lead people to, and then my own, um, ADHD coaching once I felt qualified and, um, had training in that area. That is so fantastic. And I love that you differentiate between how ADHD quote unquote typically appears and how it appears in women and how it appears in children, because Mm -hmm. I think often people think of ADHD in these same ways that we thought about it 30 or 40 years ago, that it was, you know, little boys who were hyper, right. Or little girls who were hyper bouncing off the walls, couldn't concentrate. But to your point, it's not a deficit in the ability to focus. That's maybe mm-hmm. one piece of a multitude of symptoms <laughs> that someone may or may not have depending yeah. on who they are and how their brain works. So I think it's great that you uh, share with your followers and your audience how to differentiate between these different manifestations of ADHD symptoms and how it might look in them, which is really fascinating. Um, Another one of the things that you mentioned earlier was support systems. You know, I think about you as a parent and myself as a parent of young children, and I know we're always looking for additional tools in our toolbox and ways to help our kids who have ADHD or other mental health diagnoses. What advice might you give to the parent of a child who's just been diagnosed with ADHD? What kind of support systems would you advise that parent to put in place to help their child be most successful? Yeah, it's a really big question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't ask easy ones. (laughs) It's a really big question. I I would always uh, recommend that the parent feel into any um, emotions of sorrow or of grief that they might mm. feel with this diagnosis of loss of uh, a different expectation than maybe what they had for their parenthood, uh, maybe what they had for their child. It's a really important place to start as parents. We want to get right into action and start quote unquote, fixing things. And, so true. um, then we end up getting very frustrated and overwhelmed because we haven't actually shifted our expectation as what our new life is going to look like having these new parameters and new expectations and understandings about our child. Uh, you know, it would, my, I have three daughters who are right-handed and one daughter who's left-handed and, um, I grew up playing sports a lot. And so let's just take softball, for example, when I was playing softball, like I, I could teach someone how to throw with their right hand really easily. I've already done that many times. And so for my two daughters, my older daughters, the baby (laughs) we're not talking about, (laughs) but that was very natural. And then when I, um, have my, my left-handed kiddo, just the idea of, Oh, I have never taught from the left-handed perspective. So just give me a second here. I don't want to feel frustrated while I'm doing this because this isn't your fault. I need to process what this might look like, what it might feel like in my body. It's going to be less natural for me. And that less natural part is not anything wrong. I just need to acclimate to this is going to be a little bit 
less comfortable or less familiar to me. So that's on a very small level. Now imagine this having to do with emotional dysregulation and outbursts and tantrums and, um, not knowing their feelings and, uh, repeating your instructions over and over and over again and not getting different results and textures, um, and, uh, sensory input, like all of these things that come or potentially could come with an ADHD diagnosis. If we don't acclimate our own body as parents, how are we ever going to expect to help our kiddos? So true. Uh, yeah. It's just, so true. you know, it's not, it's not going to be nearly as effective. So mm-hmm. That is a very indirect way of answering your question. Um, no, I, I love that. And you mentioned, you know, overcoming this grief and loss of what you thought your life was going to look like, your parenting journey was going to look like. And I remember, you know, when my son got this diagnosis, I, of course, tried to read about uh, children who are now a little bit older. They're mm-hmm. teenagers because this um, this diagnosis was only added to the DSM-5 in 2013. So all the kids who were diagnosed uh, around that time, they're teenagers now. And so I I was looking ahead. I was trying to connect with parents of teens to see, you know, what might we have in store? And a lot of them have had to um, send their children to inpatient hospital stays, um, you know, receive inpatient treatment. This is a very medication heavy diagnosis. So they're on some pretty intense, heavy duty medications. Um, people have a lot of different and varied experiences, but a lot of those experiences are, are tough. I mean, they're really emotionally heavy. And I remember maybe three days after we got the diagnosis, the official diagnosis, just sitting in bed one evening and I was scrolling through just article after article. And it was all, they were all saying the same thing. And I was just looking for a good story, you know, just looking mm-hmm. for a good outcome. And I I couldn't find them. And it felt devastating. It felt like, oh my God, I have, I have done this to my child. I have cursed them for this, to this life of hardship and struggle and challenge. And, and I had to really own those feelings. I had to really check myself and say, yeah, other people's experiences are not your child's experiences. You know, you did not do this. You know, you do not have to feel ashamed of this diagnosis or like you did something Good. wrong as a parent. Um, yep. And you can't ever, you know, I, I really needed to say to myself, you need to get this under control, honey, because I don't ever want a subconscious feeling of concern or worry or fear to transfer to my child. I don't, don't yeah. want them to ever sense that I am struggling with their diagnosis. You know, <laughs> right. it's not about me, right? Right, exactly. And so I really had to sort of take take a beat and really sit with those feelings and those emotions and get them under control so that I could be the best parent to him that I could be and so that I could focus my attention and my action towards supporting him. But I had to deal with my own shit first. You know? A thousand percent, yes. Absolutely. A thousand percent to everything you just said. I, I work with, I have parents that come to me for ADHD coaching for support for their child and without fail, the majority of the sessions that we work on is their own coaching Interesting is, is learning how to be a parent to an ADHD child, learning how to manage 
your own dysregulation. And, and many of the parents do have ADHD themselves. It's, it's a very genetic, um, there's a, there's a high genetic tie with ADHD, but without fail, we end up coaching the parents and then we'll do a little bit with the kiddos. Because if you think about it, a parent's ability to educate themselves, read the books mm-hmm. or learn the knowledge, like that's what, that's what adults can do for themselves. But what's often not taught to us or can't be learned by a book is how to manage our own thoughts and our emotions and recalibrate when stimuli comes in that we were never expecting in parenthood. It's already hard, you know, but that we would have never anticipated, um, learning what to do with that. Right. And that's, that's also a big change from generations is being able to feel emotions and not have to feel like you have to fix them or shut them down right away. Um, but giving space for them. I've loved everything you said. It's awesome. Well, well, that's, that's amazing. And I, I thank you for that because it has changed over these last couple of generations. And I'm so grateful that it has, they feel like our children are going to be well-equipped to tackle anything that comes because we have had these emotional conversations and we're teaching them this emotional literacy, if you will, how to describe their feelings, how to sit with their feelings, how to process their feelings, how not to take their feelings out on others, which is very big with DMDD specifically. But it's, uh, I, I think we're really, we're really giving the next generation tools that we ourselves didn't have growing up. And certainly our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation couldn't have even imagined. And I'm sure our children are going to then be even better teaching these things to their children than we are. Yes. Every generation I hope is so, going to get better right? and better. <laughs> They're going to look That's back at idea. us and say, oh my gosh, what idiots. <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing. I know. It's it's so interesting. I was just having this, I have this uh, book club and we're reading um, Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart with oh, my, okay. my sisters and my mom. So I have four sisters and, and my mom in this. And uh, so it's a really interesting dynamic because we're talking about our experience and my mom's there talking about hers and, and she... Um, suffice it to say she had a goal in her marriage and and her having a family of what she wanted to accomplish with us based upon what she learned from her own upbringing. And I would say wholeheartedly, she has done that. She has made our house a very stable, beautiful place. And then she was sitting there saying, and I'm so proud of you guys for taking this one step further and not just being stable but Mm -hmm. being emotionally intelligent with what stability can look like, that that actually can be in a range of emotions. And so to your point, um, I I have an incredible mother, you know, very humble and and amazing mom. Um, But to your point, I I think that we're on the right, on the right track. I sure hope so. Um, And I want to ask you one more question. So you mentioned getting diagnosed yourself later in life. I actually did too. And when you said you were diagnosed at 36 with three kids, I was also diagnosed at 36 with three kids. No way. Way. Isn't that what wild coincidence? (laughs) Um, And it was actually, so I was watching TikToks and Instagrams and I was sitting there next to my mom on a couch and I was scrolling through and I got, and I sort of, you know, I keep watching one after another, after another. And I look at my mom and I said, mom, I, you know, I think I might have ADHD. She's like watching HGTV or something. And she goes, yeah, you do. And just goes right back to the TV. And I was like, excuse me now, what, what, what now? And she goes, yeah, yeah. You didn't know that. And I said, no. 
what what do you mean I didn't know like oh. what <laughs> and she yeah. goes yeah oh yeah you were diagnosed as a child and I was like do you mean by my aunt who is a pediatrician I was like you know what mm-hmm. do you mean when you say diagnosed? Like, she's like, oh, we brought you to a neurologist. And the whole time she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, stop. T- I'm trying to watch HGTV, you know, like, like they're oh about to do the big reveal, Michelle, you know, <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've had ADHD for years. Didn't you know that? And it was, it blew my mind. I started texting wow. my friends. I'm like, I can't believe my mom never told. And it was just something that, you know, she, at the time, uh, she didn't want to medicate me. And so mm-hmm. I don't know why, you know, I don't know what her thought was there, but she didn't want to give me medication. And so the neurologist had suggested, well, just give her some caffeine before school in the morning. And mm-hmm. so I do have a memory of my mom giving me these big, like 12 ounce Mountain Dew bottles every morning with my Cheerios. <laughs> oh my and I would eat my Cheerios with a Mountain <laughs> Dew. <laughs> Which was always kind of a strange memory. Sorry, that's very interesting. <laughs> I'm loving this story right? so much. <laughs> now makes sense, you know, oh, now makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I get, I'm 36 years old. I have three kids and my mom's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you have this. Oh, like, wow. Wow. Could have helped that. That information might've helped me 30 years ago. Thanks mom. Um, oh my goodness. But she's, you know, she's always been kind of blase about that kind of stuff. I have an, I'll tell you one more story about my mom who is lovely, like your mm-hmm. lovely yeah. woman. Um, but you know, medical stuff sort of, <laughs> she, I think she could have done a little bit better when I was a kid because uh, the other big medical issue, you know, we talked about having, how having ADHD is just as as normal as having contacts or glasses, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I had been getting in trouble in sixth grade for talking. I was sitting at the back of my classroom and I had kept my kept getting notes sent home from school because I was talking in class. And I kept saying to my mom, I'm talking to the girl next to me to ask her what's written on the board because I can't read the board. And she was like, no, oh. you're not. You're just talking to your friends. Just cut it out, you know? Oh. And it was probably two or three months oh, before no. my mom, my mom was like, I was getting grounded. I was getting all kinds of, you know, privileges taken away because I was kept getting in trouble for talking in class. And finally she said, well, we'll bring you in, you know, I'll get your eyes checked, but if your eyes are fine and this keeps happening and I don't remember what the punishment was, you know, I probably couldn't ride my bike for a week or something, but, um, (laughs) uh, she brought me into our optometrist who happened to be our next door neighbor. So like, that's how easy this would have been to solve (laughs) six months earlier. Our next door neighbor was our optometrist. So he got me in like that afternoon, you know, drove over to his office. And I remember so distinctly him looking at my mom and going she can't see the broad side of a barn I was completely blind I had like I was like almost legally blind so I had terrible terrible eyesight oh this is not good and and my mom was like oh whoops (laughs) so just another whoopsie from my mom about my own medical history so anyway I don't and I'd I'd love to with that but (laughs) I I see a beautiful point here though we're talking to you parents out there and let this just be a point that I think that there are so many of us because of the accessibility to knowledge in the world we now live in that we feel like we have to do it all right Mm. now know it all like there's no room for the transition from knowing nothing to knowing everything it's just that we expect to snap our fingers and get there 
I feel like the world is not very nice these days about the in-between, about the acclimation, about the knowledge and the learning. And that's not just in mental health, that's in a lot of things. And so I want to extend compassion to you the same way that Michelle has just extended some knowledge and understanding and realization to her mom because she's sitting in front of me here. She has two (laughs) podcasts. She has a business she's running as a leadership coach and all these things. And she made it through. She needed glasses. She made it through. She needed her diagnosis. She found out at 36. So regardless of our parents not knowing everything or doing everything that maybe we would have hoped, we're still here. Your children are going to feel loved by you. Every small action that you do to help them with their diagnoses or with their special needs will be impactful. And they will probably find things that they're dissatisfied with, but please, please know that you do not have to know the whole internet all at once. You do not have to know all of the published articles on PubMed about the diagnosis all at once that every little drop that's going into that water is going to make a difference. And eventually it's going to create a beautifully, um, well-suited child that you can say, you know what? I did my best with what I had and we were moving forward. So compassion, (laughs) compassion to all of us parents that still have adults (laughs) that grow up to be functional. (laughs) We all, we all make it in the end. You have not screwed up your child. I love that. What fantastic final words of wisdom and what a lovely sentiment to end on. Thank you so much, Camden, for being here with me today. This has been lovely. So happy to be here. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village our Facebook community. Catch you next time.